Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Angel of Words podcast, where your stories are heard. I am your host, Angel of Words. Before we get started, don't forget to click on that notification bell on YouTube. Subscribe, share, share, share these messages. It's important. You could also follow me on all podcast platforms. And uh, also check check out the website at www.aowent.com. And if you want to leave a donation, to the cat uh to the uh angel of words podcast it is cash app a o w n y c now on deck on the angel of words podcast we have the ceo and co-founder of mastery portfolio miss constant mrs constance burrow miss burrow thank you so much for being here with us today it's a pleasure to have you you're welcome. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Miss Burrow, you have created, I love it because it's been a great season of unicorns and people creating applications, you know, with minimal resources and things of that nature. And you have created one of, I, I would say, the best application that I've seen online or in the app store to help grade and educate our children it's mastery portfolio how and why well i kind of know why you created this app right but could you tell us about the problem that you had with education and the reason why you wanted to create mastery portfolio and then after that tell us what it is yeah absolutely um, thanks again for having me, Angel. I'm really excited of to course. speak to you, um, especially considering my roots um, as a native New Yorker, born in Manhattan, um, raised in the Bronx, uh, you know, at, before we moved out to Westchester and then eventually out to Columbus, Ohio, which is actually where I live now. Um, and so having gotten my teaching roots also in the South Bronx and Brooklyn and at a, a number of schools, the kind of uniform theme that I experienced was that kids were really demotivated by grades and really kind of um, deflated a lot of times by the way that we do traditional grading. And so this concept called uh, standards-based grading or mastery-based grading takes away those kind of points and averages and that kind of ranking and sorting of students into A's and B's and C's and just gives them um, descriptive feedback about what skills they're really strong at right now and what skills they need to further develop. And so that gives kids agency in their learning. They can w take that information and go off and use any number of resources, you know, Khan Academy, um, Google searching, and um, their textbook even to go and learn those skills that they need to learn. And then their grade goes up. And so their grade is always a current reflection of everything they're learning rather than sort of a, um, a hole that they can't dig themselves out of because of kind of one poor test earlier in the semester or something like that. Um, so when you get rid of those points and averages, it really is very empowering to students. And so I did that in my teaching practice at every school that I taught in as an educator, um, K all the way through high school uh, in a variety of subjects. And I finally landed myself at um, an independent school in Columbus, Ohio, when we moved out here. And we had the resources to actually purchase whatever the grading software was kind of of our, of our choice. And so um, we got on sales calls with a bunch of different outfits and they all said, oh no, we can't accommodate that kind of grading. Oh no, we can't get rid of the averages at the top. You know, that would affect wow. all our other users. Wow. And so they basically were telling me that they couldn't um, provide the service to keep track of the data for this really empowering kind of grading philosophy that I've been using my whole career. You know, I've really been using Google Sheets or Excel spreadsheets to keep track of the data because there wasn't a good tool. And so we finally, try to put money after the the good tool that we thought had to be out there and, and we couldn't find it. So we decided to kind of see the change we wanted to see in the world as we always tell our students, right? And and to go out and build it and make it available to educators. So our inaugural app is called the Mastery Book. You can sign up um, to get on our wait list for um, kind of an early free account at uh, masteryportfolio.com to kind of see what we're about and um, I'm getting goosebumps. I'm going to be honest. I, I looked at that. I thought about my time in school and I'm going to, you know, and in addition to that, Constance, I have a huge, uh, I'm, 
I have a lot of trepidation when it comes to education because, you know, I, I mean, personally right now I don't have any children, but I do have a niece. And I remember that when I had to take care of her for that certain amount of time and she's nine years old, um, she was learning the same way I was learning 20 years ago. Not even, I wasn't, I wasn't, her, I was her age, what, 20, probably 30 years ago, right? So I'm like, why is my niece at a charter school that's supposed to be this amazing thing? Because, you know, I'm not a parent yet. So all I hear is charter schools. To me, it's more of a buzzword than an actual thing that I'm living in. But I, I'm like, why is my niece learning at a charter school the same way I was learning 30 years ago? That's a problem for me, Constance. It and really is. I agree with you. And it's a problem for our future workforce. You know, we're an increasingly technological uh, economy and um, the demands of the jobs. You know, it, research shows that 80% of the jobs that our current college graduates are going to occupy in eight years time are job descriptions that you know don't even exist right now like manager of robotic um personnel or something like that so you know we we can't possibly prepare students for the actual roles they're going to take we need to prepare them to be good learners to be able to take feedback to be able to learn quickly to be nimble on their feet um flexible thinkers because they're going to have to just adapt and learn how to do the jobs of the future and so if we're not keeping track of those critical thinking, analysis, evaluation skills that they need to develop for the jobs of the future, then we're really underserving them and our economy is going to suffer as a result because we won't have enough qualified people to take on, um, you know, these, these jobs of the future. So that's, you know, that's another kind of bigger picture problem that we solve. Yes. Um, <clears throat> we really, uh, you know, the software is kind of one avenue, but another um, part of our services that we found that we really developed because people could ask for it is a series of um, professional learning experiences for teachers to really start to wrap their heads around what an innovative grading scheme can look like, what it can do to empower their students and to make their classroom teaching more efficient, frankly. Um, you know, you don't have to teach the whole textbook if you upfront assess what the actual skills are that your students don't yet have. Some of them may already know a lot of the foundational topics that you plan to cover. So why don't you dig deeper, um, you know, once you kind of have the, the tools to assess that. So. It's very exciting. There are a lot of educators out there who are behind this mission. There are a lot of um, partner organizations that we're in communication with who are trying to do this work as well. So I think the time for change is now. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm just I'm grateful that you're helping get the word out there because, you know, there is a better way. And we do need to update what we're doing in education to be able to serve our students best, which is our promise to them at the end of the day. Definitely. And what you're doing with that app, I mean, you know, and especially with the with the website, I appreciate it because you're I mean, but and and first of all, let me tell you that looking at that application, it instantly made me feel that you actually care about your students, which is another issue. You know, you care about your students is obviously with with the way that the app is made, because the app basically breaks down. If you if you took a test, you know, it wasn't, oh, you got an 85, you you pass. It's bigger than that. It's like, yeah, you pass with an 85, but you focus on the 15 you didn't get. And, and, and the fact that, OK, you didn't comprehend this, this, you didn't comprehend this. Your mastery of this is good, but your comprehension of this is bad. And I appreciate that, but he, because it puts attention to detail, which I feel as an adult, thank God that I have that skill. But I see in a lot of adults, they don't have that skill. Uh, uh, an attention to detail, a respect for the minor things, you know, an awareness. And I feel like that that's what the app built. And I think that as a human being, that is one of the best skills to have. So thank you. And yeah. what do you feel about that? Yeah, no, I, th I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head there in the sense of um, what the app does is it gives teachers and students the information they need to be reflective and to take action to improve their own outcomes um, or the outcomes of their students. So that's different than a traditional grading system because in a traditional classroom like you and I may have experienced, um, 
what we were really trained to do is not so much reflect on what we still need to learn and take action about it, but to just kind of be compliant and follow the directions and um, answer the question in the same exact way the teacher showed it on the board, uh, mm -hmm. rather than, you know, coming up with our own strategies and arguments and um, critiquing the arguments of others and, and things that are going to really drive those, um, those transfer skills that are going to transfer from the classroom to the workplace. Uh, students ask me, you know, in a geometry course, for example, why do I need to learn this? I'm never going to use it in my job. Well, I but would that's say not true. I want to let people I want to let students know that is not true. I thought standard deviation, for example, right? Standard deviation. I thought that was irrelevant in life. I had a guy last week here who created an app based on the education that he the standard deviation that he learned in high school. So yeah. when you when kids think that it's bogus, there's so many. And I'm sorry to cut you off, Constance, no, but I no, hate when fine. I hear that because the reality is the stuff you're learning in school, you never know when it's going to be applicable in real life. And it might be applicable in real life in your most important moment. Right. So what my response, you know, when I hear students mm -hmm. or teachers say yeah. that is usually, um, well, it kind of depends on how you're messaging the learning. Are you emphasizing the process, the attempt, you know, being okay in kind of a, you know, leaning into the discomfort of learning something new? Are you emphasizing revision? Are you emphasizing collaboration? If you're emphasizing those things, those definitely transfer to the workplace and the content is sort of an avenue to practice those skills. If you're really just emphasizing, um, you know, all the different ways that you can find the, you know, interior angle of a triangle, that's probably less relevant directly, but really it's about, you know, using the content to build the skills that are going to transfer to success in life. And so that's, that's what, you know, when you identify your standards and your skills that you're assessing students against, that starts to move the needle in terms of the way the education is provided to students by the teachers. And mastery portfolio, I feel, really drives at the heart of that problem. You know, and I love that on the app, I mean, you know, on the website, you know, you literally state the problem in the beginning of the website. Like you log on there, there's a problem, and then you tell people how you're going to fix it. And then you can go in there and actually play with the application. You know, who, 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 who helped you guys or how did you build this um, uh, website and you know, could you go over a little bit for the viewers that have, haven't been on the website, what it actually does? So to answer your question, my co-founder, Ben Knuckles, is a old friend of mine from my New York City Department of Ed days. He taught for 10 years in New York City as well. And he left the classroom to work full time on developing his own ed tech app kind of on his own because he encountered a similar problem. His first app was an attendance app. You would be surprised how hard it is to keep attendance in a way that's compliant with um, district requirements, for example. And so oh, wow. his next app was a geometry worksheet builder. Um, and he was just kind of tinkering with things that had been obstacles for him in his classroom that he thought, I can fix this. Let me just get my kind of programming um, feet on the ground and, and make this available to teachers on the app store. And so <clears throat> when I contacted him with this idea, I essentially asked him if he wanted to be my um, tech co-founder. And he, by the end of the call, was so excited about the mission, he was completing my sentences. And we'd never talked about this before. And so it was just a natural fit. Uh, so he is our chief technology officer, and um, we do have a programming team under him. And that, you know, he and our programmers have built the entire app um, as it exists today so we're very proud of that wow now is it is, is this something that's that that you need patented because i see this like kind of some unique things in there so is there like a patent pending is that you know what, what's going on there in, in that situation that yeah that's a good question so as ceo i have to wear a lot of hats and one of them is the kind of legal intellectual property hat right so for your um you know viewers who may be interested in starting their own business or getting into tech um, the way that, you know, applications work is that there's nothing really copyrightable about, um, you know, or, or kind of proprietary intellectual property about writing a program in general. 
um, because it's just kind of a combination of other algorithms and functions that other people have already written or that are available kind of open source. But if you do develop an original algorithm that doesn't exist out there yet, you can potentially patent that as intellectual property. Um, so I think Facebook probably has some algorithms that do some of their kind of AI, you know, data stuff. You know, I haven't looked into it in too much detail, but you really have to kind of be inventing something new in terms of programming, uh, not just building an app that, that doesn't quite, quite fit the bill. So, um, but, you know, for anyone starting a new company, it is a good idea to try to get a trademark for your brand, for your name, your logo. Um, that kind of thing is considered intellectual property. So, you know, we've put those applications through and those are kind of moving right along, you know, for that. So, it, you know, we have our brand and our app names conditionally trademarked, which is great. Um, yeah, and I'm happy to connect with any of your uh, listeners kind of just for one-on-one -on -one advice about starting a company. I mean, I, I really believe in empowering. So you're willing to do a consultation? Sure, yeah. I mean, okay. Yeah, with any other okay. business founder. I, I've benefited a lot from the wisdom of other founders, so happy to pay So you say you, you were willing to, you're willing to, refer, yeah, I'm can, sorry. I, yeah, oh, okay, okay. they can, they can okay. email me and, and ask me questions, and I'm happy to just kind of shoot back what my experience has been, you know, if it can be helpful. Okay, and where are they emailing you at? Constance at masteryportfolio.com. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Now I want you know, I loved, I love the application. I, you know, I really, I, cause I want mothers and parents to understand the thought and effort that you put into this and speak on the interactiveness of the app. The fact that mothers and you know, you're the, 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 the uh, educator will be able to connect with the parent via that app too. That's how interactive it is. And why is that so important to you? Right. So we found that in a lot of traditional grading schemes, the, the details, um, let me back up a second. So think about teaching and, and the art of teaching. It's a very um, skilled craft because you're basically getting to know the cognitive profile of 30 kids in front of you over the course of 10 months. Teachers have a lot of knowledge that really just exists kind of in their heads or maybe on their teacher clipboard. But the depth of that knowledge of each kid doesn't often, it would be too time consuming, frankly, for that to be able to be conveyed to every parent. So there's a huge partnership gap between teachers and parents, not because the teachers don't want to partner with the parents or vice versa, but because it's just so time consuming to really do that level of conferencing to, to really be on the same page. So when you're able to put a lot of that detail in either as a narrative comment or as a skill mastery level into an application that parents think can then log into and see that feedback, they, it, it does that communication for you. So instead of spending an hour writing a one page email to a parent saying exactly how the kid is doing in class, they can just print a mastery report and shoot it off to the parent and say, let me know if you have any questions. And that's often all the parent needs to know how to support their child. What do you think about the state of education right now in America, Constance? I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I can't even imagine being an educator or a parent right now in this day and age. What do you, you know, what do you think about it right now? Because it's one of the most hot button issues that there is. Yeah, I think a lot about this. Um, and I think the state of education would be better if we listened to teachers more. Teachers know. Teachers are fabulous. We have some really bright field educators out there. Um, I also think we, you know, would benefit from listening to students more. Students might say, why do I have to learn this? But that what they're really asking for is, can you give me a chance to get my feet wet in the real world and see what I'm capable of? Like, I want to know my power. I want to know what I can contribute and what problems I can solve in this world. And so if we really listen to the thing behind the thing behind the thing, we can, we can uncover some, some real truths, I think, that will drive progress in a lot of our policies and a lot of things that are stagnant or um, just from kind of a previous era before, you know, we were in such a technologically advanced world. So kids are, kids have so much information at their fingertips right now. Um, we need to make sure they're getting the right information for themselves to develop themselves. And so that's what we, that's part of what we try to do at Mastery Portfolio. 
Um, but, you know, if you have any educators out there listening or district administrators who are thinking like, yes, I, we need to update what we're doing, but I don't really know what the first steps are. I mean, that's a, that's a big thing we do is consult with schools and districts to really take your vision for how you want your school to run, the culture you want, the way you, you want learning to happen and where you are now and build that roadmap of how you get from, you know, point A to point B to really implement your vision. Because taking, knowing what steps to take along the way and how to bring along your parents and families is, is really challenging. And, you know, we've done it with schools before. And so, you know, schools can benefit from the wisdom of the schools we've worked with, you know, in the past. Constance, what do you tell the educator that's like, oh my God, I don't get paid enough for this? Because this is another issue. The they compensation They aspect. don't get paid enough. You know, yeah. I, and I, I look, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm really getting into this right now. And thank you for being so cordial and, and having this conversation with me, because as a person outside looking in, right, because I don't have children. I know plenty of people with children. I see their interaction with educators. First, I feel educators don't get paid enough for the stuff they have to deal with now with parents. You know, and I understand that there were a lot of situations in the past where things, you know, were not being ran the right way. They may have been some mental abuse for children, but I still feel that a teacher needs to hold a child accountable, right, without the parent's input. I have to be honest, because when you go out into the real world, you cannot call mommy when your boss is getting after you for not being reliable or whatever the case may be. You understand where I'm coming from? That's these, this is where children are learning these lessons. This is where I learned my lesson to be accountable to someone that's not related to you. And I feel like there's, it's parents have way too much access to teachers. I don't like that. I'm going to be honest with you. You know, how do you feel about that? Well, I think there's a lot more research now than there was, 20 or 30 years ago about child development and what's kind of appropriate at different ages in terms of personal responsibility um, and motivation as well. I mean, students go through kind of a, a progression of, um, you know, when their eyes are only motivated by perhaps a piece of candy or a sticker, but by the time they're in high school, they, they are more motivated by the abstract idea of their own future that they really can't conceive of when they're five. I mean, that's their brain just isn't there yet. So, um, I think that's a big part of it. And I, I do think our, our teachers are becoming um, more and more uh, sort of well-versed in that research as they read or as their school provides professional development. Um, and so that's to the benefit of our students. Um, I also think that there's kind of a, a very positive movement for, you know, it's typically called restorative justice, but like the idea that when a student is experiencing behavioral challenges or, or kind of disciplinary action against them. They're not, for whatever reason, kind of um, living by, let's say, the social rules, you know, or the physical rules of the school. Um, the approach now is to really, like, talk to the student um, and, and understand, like, why, why is this hard for you? How can, we, how can we bring you back into the community as a contributing member and a, as a healthy and happy student? rather than let's just suspend you for 60 days, right? So we're, we're moving more towards community-based um, healing for this process rather than sort of a, a penal system, which I also think is healthy. Um, you know, there's some really scary statistics that I was taught when I was a first-year teacher, such as, you know, we predict future incarceration rates based on the reading levels of second graders. You know, the percent of kids who are behind for below grade level in reading by second grade, like essentially the state would start building prison cells for them because that's the predict, you know, the school to prison pipeline. So, and there's also research on that, that, you know, New York has been really good about kind of getting Is that, that a real out. thing, the school to prison pipeline and teachers think about that? You guys think oh about yeah. That? I mean, that's why we teach. That's why we teach is to, to give our kids every opportunity that, that they might not otherwise have in life. Um, teaching really is a service job you're, you're not doing it for the paycheck you're doing it for you know the impact you can have on students lives and you know when you have that student who at their high school graduation comes back and tells you hey 
I'm going to NYU to study applied mathematics because of your seventh grade math class. Like that happened to me a couple of years ago at um, a charter school in Brooklyn. Like that makes it all worth it. Um, every time you have those moments with students. So I agree with you that teachers aren't paid enough. And the trickle down effect of that is we're not getting the best minds in classrooms with kids. Or, um, you know, people are, especially with the economy right now, students are not only, you know, college students are not only choosing more kind of affordable colleges because they don't want to be in a ton of debt, but they're also choosing more lucrative careers because they know that you, you can't just depend, you can't support a family on a teacher's salary. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line, especially if you have student debt uh, and a mortgage. So if, Unfortunately, in a lot of areas of the country, it's becoming, if you want to teach, that's like a lifestyle choice that you can make because perhaps your spouse is a doctor or a lawyer and can pay the bills. I mean, that's not right. So um, we do need to fix the, the compensation system. And, you know, that's not my wheelhouse, but I, I see a lot of educators frustrated or working two jobs or three jobs sometimes. Um, I've always worked two jobs, you know, while a teacher to, to make ends meet. Um, and so I, I feel that pain acutely. And we have a lot of good talent in our schools, and we need to compensate our teachers accordingly. To me, I, I'm going to be honest with you, to me, it's a complete travesty. To me, the teacher, if it wasn't for certain teachers that I have in my life, this podcast probably wouldn't even exist. I probably wouldn't even know how to speak English. You know what I'm saying? Like teachers to me are the most important thing on the planet Earth. And you and I'm sorry, I feel like you you don't get a fair shake in this new world that we're going to. First of all, we live in a technological world right now where you have to be on it. You don't have the tools. You, 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 a lot of your kids, when you care, when you really care about this profession, you know, don't have the tools. You know, you're not being compensated. To me, that is an absolute tra travesty. It's a disgrace, to be honest with you. Like, you guys deserve more. You deserve more. You're telling me that teachers are, are having to work, you know, to pay, I mean, uh, you know, work two, three gigs. Like, a teacher should be able to live a decent lifestyle. They're taking care of 30 children in a classroom mm -hmm. per day. Saving, yeah. you, you know, saving you money on child care costs. Teachers need to be compensated. I'm sorry. Like, I'm, uh, I, it really angers me when I hear these things that you're telling me. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. It's just like, it, it really does. It's mind boggling to me because people, I mean, I feel like, like we're shifting gears in this society to, to under appreciating things of value. And I don't want that. Well, I think it is a question of values and it's also a question of long-term goals. So mm -hmm. we are in a very capitalist society, which is good in mm -hmm. some ways. I mean, it generates GDP, it fuels the economy. Um, you know, we are, we do have so many resources compared to so many other countries. Um, however, we have to think uh, longer term than just, you know, next quarter or our year-end statement. We need to think about how we're building how we're investing in our greatest resource, which is our human capacity, it's our children. I mean, what are we doing to develop the children who are going to be, like I said earlier, in the workforce of the future? Um, you know, there's a lot of momentum now around the world, you know, in terms of the tech space, which America used to lead, but China is right there with us now. Um, a lot of companies are hiring internationally because other countries do a better job educating their children. And so where does that leave Americans in terms of the workplace? Um, so we do need to think about these things. And, and I do think teacher compensation is part of that. Um, there are some good organizations that attempt to help with the teacher compensation problem. Uh, one of my favorites is a New York-based organization called Math for America. What they do is they recruit uh, promising math and science educators, and they pay them extra money for just going to school and teaching and being fabulous. Um, and that's their whole mission is to provide professional development experiences, a community of like-minded colleagues, and to augment their salaries so that they stay in the classroom. 
Um, and there, there are a lot of fabulous philanthropists in this country as well who could put their dollars behind education. And with a fairly simple model like that, um, they could make a big impact on the teachers who are in front of kids in our classrooms. Now, Constance, could you talk to us about, you know, the the pandemic and how that's affected educators as well? And I mean, I think your app helps educators, you know, obviously with with, with what's uh, what's what's transpired in a year and a half. And, you know, and and a lot of teachers are getting ridiculed for not wanting to go back to schools to teach in certain states. But I'm like, why should they want to go back? Why? So the pandemic has been, in a lot of ways, a catalyst for reimagining how we do grading, reporting, assessment in general. And if your if your whole concept of grading, reporting, and assessment has been flipped on its head, that has effects on what you do in the classroom. So, for example, if you are you know if you have your students working remotely and you assign a traditional unit test or essay. There's no way for you to know if the student does that and submits it on their own with the help of a private tutor, if their mom does it, if their sister does it. So the whole concept of knowing what your students know becomes a very um, tricky puzzle. And so part of what we help schools do is identify what are some instructional strategies that help you really dig into assessing what your kids know, not just kind of tracking assignment completion, you know, regardless of who did it and, and kind of keeping track of points. So that's been a real eye opener. Uh, you see a lot of colleges dropping the SAT and the ACT right now because they just can't control for how it's been administered in, you know, during a pandemic. And so um, parents used to put a lot of pressure on their kids to study for those tests, a lot of times spending thousands of dollars on private tutors if they can afford it. Um, but that's becoming irrelevant as well. So it's, it's kind of like the formulas for how we assess students are changing, which I think is really exciting because I think it can only get better. Um, and, and so that's the space that we're in. And that's, there are a lot of driving forces that are making the work we do at Master Portfolio really exciting for that reason. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that you care enough to keep up the fight. You know, I really do. <laughs> now, w- what do you feel, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on the, the new Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardona? And I'm going to give you, you know, three of his, uh, um, how do you say, uh, three of his uh, platforms, uh, the themes, uh, you know, that he ran on. Uh, well, not he, that he ran on, but the things that he believes in. Okay, so he believes in supporting worker rights, right, for teachers, prioritize public schools, right, and hold charter schools accountable, rely less on high-stakes standardized tests, right? Th- those those are a, a, few, a couple of the things that he believes in. But my thing is, first of all, why did we stop relying on private schools? Because, you know, I've, I'm not in this field. You know, I want to know what you think about his platform. Why did we stop relying on public schools? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I want to well, know why you... Re- uh, Okay, first, I want to know why we stopped relying on public schools, Constance. And then after that, I want to know what you think about this platform, which is supporting, well, you know, teachers, workers' rights, prioritize public school, well, which is one of the questions already, and uh, relying less on uh, high-stakes standardized tests. You know, what's your thoughts on those things? Yeah, so, these, you know, you could write a whole book on all three of these things, but um, Could you give us a, a, a little mini one here? Yeah, <laughs> here, here's the nut- Could you give us the, 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 how do you say, the prologue, please? Yeah, right. <laughs> so um, I think part of what we're observing with public schools right now is that, you know, education is a localized type of, of an organization. Um, there is not a ton, you know, except for these high-stake tests, which are federally, federally mandated and kind of state-implemented, um, most decisions happen at the local school board or local department of ed level. Um, schools themselves, I mean, if you look at New York City, New York City is, ex- and, and many cities in our country are um, extremely segregated in terms of social, economic, racial, um, you know, other demographic, demographic makeup. So 
it happens to be that the families that have their student at the public school on the Upper East Side um, have a whole strong parent-teacher association and funding that's coming in through donations. And it's just not a one-to-one comparison between a certain community school and another community school because of the resources that may or may not be in a given neighborhood. Um, So I think that has caused like kind of a a fissure um, in our trust in the public school system, I think. Feel free to disagree, but um, there's not sort of a guaranteed uh, level of experience that a student is going to have, um, you know, basic level of experience. So uh, that kind of leads, that led to the um, federal mandate for state testing back in, I think, 2008 may have been the first year, you know, we had no child left behind in the state testing. If I'm remembering correctly, it was my first year teaching. And the state tests, the rollout of them and the implementation varied state to state and some was successful and some was not. Um, but the philosophy of holding all students to a certain level of like, this is the standard. This is what on grade level looks like. Teachers, here's what you're tasked to teach. Go teach it. I actually, I am okay with that concept of having the same standards for all students because I think any students can, can reach high expectations. And before that, it was kind of up to the teacher of what they wanted to teach or not. And sometimes students would end up going to the next grade level unprepared because there was a certain unit the teacher didn't want to teach, for example. Um, so I think a certain level of standardization is good, but within that there needs to be freedom for the teacher to pursue that content as they see fit. Um, so the problem with the state test often is that students take the state test, but by the time they're graded and the scores come back and the data comes back, that student has already passed on to the next year. And so the teacher who knew that kid and was teaching that content can't actually then intervene now that they have this good mastery data of what the student got right and what the student missed. So that's part of the implementation challenge that schools need to rely less on state tests because there's really nothing they can, there's nothing actionable they can do with that data by the time it comes back. So that's why it's helpful to have another source of data tracking, such as, you know, our app, the Mastery Book, where Mastery you can, Portfolio, the Mastery yeah. Book, available in your Apple iTunes now. You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, but, you know, sales pitch aside, like you can actually give your students a practice state test and you can grade yourself and you can keep all the mastery data right there. And then you can pull small groups based on who's successful at a given skill and who's not. And so you can get ahead of it. So when that state test rolls around, not only are you confident that your kids know everything that's going to be on it, but your students are confident too because they've seen their mastery grow over the course of a year. And so that's the way you really start to move the needle and increase student achievement is by tracking that mastery from the beginning, not relying so much on those state tests. I love it. I love that you focus on the weaknesses and not on, on the strengths. I feel like, you know, we give we spend too much time giving people gold stars and it's like, no. We got to focus on what you're not doing well. Even if you're a 90% student, you're not a 100% student. So what's that 10% about? You know, and you're, you're able to, and it's not even like in a way that's like, uh, how do you say, uh, um, emotionally uh, hurting the child, you know? It's, it's, a, it's in a very, you know, really discreet manner. It's like you go on the app, like, look, your child had an issue with, with this situation, I think he needs to work on this. I think it's absolutely beautiful what you guys are doing, and you're doing it in a way that is going to be that is relevant because we do live in a digital age, and a lot of people are continuing to forget that, you know. And I I really appreciate what you folks are doing. Now, could you tell us, you know, what the difference is between working at a because you know you hear this buzzword charter school. What's the difference between a charter school and a public school? Could you let the people know from a teacher's experience? Yeah, sure. So I've taught up charter schools and district public schools uh, mm-hmm. in New York City. So um, I can speak to that. I also work, I support charter schools here in Ohio. I'm based in Ohio now um, with Mastery Portfolio. So um, I can speak to that experience as well. The concept with a charter school is that, um, you know, once the charter is granted, um, you know, they get a certain number of dollar amounts, per, you know, dollar amount per student to operate. And then they have a lot of autonomy to do whatever they see fit with those funds. Whereas in a traditional district school, 
there's a certain amount in the budget that you have to spend on textbooks, a certain amount on professional development, a certain amount on, um, you know, teacher, coach, you know, paying your coaches, like things like that. Everything is very structured and there's not a lot of wiggle room to be innovative in, in the way budgets, you know, for a traditional district school are, at least in New York City. Now, that's a gross kind of simplified generalization. If you talk to a principal, they could tell you a lot more about the budget, how the budgets work, but that's kind of the concept. So for charter schools, um, you know, you, you feed them, you, what is it? You feed them, you feed them, and then you weed them. So the other part of charter schools is that there is supposed to be a high level of accountability where if student achievement is not happening, that charter operation gets shut down because it's no better than, you know, the, the district community school that may have been there before. So that's the idea is that they're adding, with that flexibility, they're able to be more innovative to provide a better program for students. That's kind of the promise of a charter school. Yeah, um, which I don't see personally. I'm sorry. I don't see it in a lot of charter schools, well, especially in the... Especially my my niece's school, I'm disappointed. I'll be honest. Yeah, well, you know, education is a it's a human endeavor, so it's prone to flaws, right? We all have flaws. Um, but I will say that um, there are a lot of different models for running charter schools. Some are more successful than others. Uh, in New York City, you have a lot of large charter networks that have a central office with additional resources and have funders and donors, and you know, they kind of um, provide resources to all of their schools within the network. Uh, so that can work well. You also have smaller kind of mom and pop charter schools, as I call them, that just operate on their own, but sometimes have the support of other partner organizations like Teach for America or Math for America or some of these other ones. Um, out here in Columbus, so in New York City, teachers generally do get paid a bit more at charter schools than at the district school for the same amount of experience. Um, at least starting salary. And so that's to kind of entice them. You know, you lose your rights within the union when you go to a charter school generally, unless the charter school is unionized. Um, but the, you know, the compensation is supposed to be better. So whereas out here in Columbus, Ohio, um, in some of the charter schools I've worked with, um, the compensation isn't better. And so it's really hard for uh, charter principals that I work with to find good talent sometimes. Um, because a good teacher can get a better paying job with better benefits at a public district school. Now, granted, out here, we, we have a lot of high-performing suburban uh, districts. And so the um, kind of achievement gap is, is sort of concentrated in kind of the downtown Columbus proper uh, schools, which, again, is, you know, a, a neighborhood-based issue and we, we have school vouchers which is a whole other issue um where families can take their uh seat dollars for their student and send their kid to a private school and, and take that money kind of out of the public district which you know people feel different ways about um but again this is why school decisions are localized and it's it varies so much you know district to district and state to state but i think you know identifying Teacher compensation as an issue and a driver is right. Um, and student achievement has to be measurable so that we can make sure that we're ser serving kids, right? It's, it's, if we're not all held accountable at every level of, of the scheme, then we're not serving kids at the end of the day. Download Mastery Portfolio in the app. It's in the app store now, you know? <laughs> because that's what you guys are trying to... I mean, I, I love it. I love what you folks are doing. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, though, Constance. Like, what about the LGBTQ situation? Like, how does that... Like, how do you handle that as a teacher? Because that's a changing landscape right now. You know, and it's like not only, and this is why teachers need to get paid more. God, I don't understand yeah. it. Yeah. I don't know how I get paid more than a teacher. To me, it makes no sense at all. To me, that's a disgrace. You have to not only balance education, right? You have to balance the social norms and everything happening in the world and and try to cult because you, you're the first line of defense. You're cultivating yeah. all these ideas that they want to implement in, in political policies. You have to deal with that as a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I try to put myself 
in my students' shoes whenever possible. And I've had students who are figuring out their identity and going through some really tough stuff. Um, and home, all of a sudden, is not a safe space where they can be themselves. And if they have a teacher at school who creates a safe space for them and their classmates in that classroom respect them and show it, um, that makes a, a huge difference in their their self-worth, their confidence, their experience, their mental health. Yeah, so, I, you know, I think it's, this isn't, an, this isn't a new issue. We just are more aware of it now. Uh, there's more research around it. People are willing to kind of speak up and share their experience, whereas before, I think people felt compelled for a lot of social pressure reasons to, to stay kind of hidden in their identity. And so teachers become the front line. You know, they act as social workers. They act as confidants. Yes, they act as teachers and disciplinarians when needed, but they also act as friends. And and educating a child means educating the whole child. You can't ignore a part of who they are because you're trying to develop their, you know, science brain. You really have kids when kids experience anxiety or trauma or pressure their brain kind of goes into i call it like their reptile brain where they can't actually perform higher level cognitive functions because they're in this sort of flight or fight response and so we have to make sure students feel comfortable in our classrooms in order for them to really be able to to thrive and learn and and like form new neural connections and, and participate in the whole learning process i mean it, it's so true and you know and thank you for that information because you know people need to know what's going through the mind of an educator you know and we really appreciate that here at the angel of words podcast and you know now it's time to play five words with angel now constance on five words with angel i'm gonna ask you a word or phrase you're gonna give me the first word phrase or thought that comes to your head if if you break out into a dissertation it's totally fine don't worry okay. about it <laughs> so one word per prompt well yeah yeah one word yeah. it's five words with angel one word you're gonna give me a word of the first word or phrase that comes to your head but then sometimes people want to go off on a tangent because the word oh. sparks something in them so you know i'm not here to judge just uh you know we'll go with the flow the first word well the first phrase is remote Learning. What do you think about when you think about remote learning? Um, you're on mute or turn your video on, right? I mean, these phrases that <laughs> we just have been on repeat all year. Oh my God. I don't know how that, oh my God. We're going to talk about that after five words today because I have to visit that. That must be so crazy. All right. The second, well, the second phrase is, Who's your favorite teacher ever, Ms. Burrow? You know, I, I think of my colleagues who were always the favorites because they connected so well with kids. Um, I'll just go ahead and shout her out. Um, Masua Stevens from the Young Women's Leadership School of Brooklyn was everyone's favorite teacher. And nice. she's fabulous. Nice. I love it. Shout out to her. What's her name again? Give a, give us just in case people didn't hear clearly. Masua Stevens. Born and raised Masua in Brooklyn. Stevens. Born and educating raised in Brooklyn. Brooklyn girls and all girls schools. Doing a fabulous job. Oh, awesome. Shout out to her. The third phrase is the American educational system. What do you think about when you think about the American educational system? Ready for change, I suppose. Nice, I, mean, I like that. It's, it's, it should be if, it, if it's not already undergoing these changes. Now, the the uh, the th fourth word is uh, what was your favorite subject in school, Constance? I was an architecture major, so I really enjoyed studying that. I thought it was a good confluence of lots of things. Um, it's not really a traditional subject. I suppose math was my favorite subject, and I was a math teacher for 13 years, so there you have it. I never thought I'd be a math teacher. I thought I'd be an English teacher, but I did really enjoy math in school. So math and architecture is your things. Nice. And the fifth and final word, it's a little bit of a curveball, but not really. What do you think about when you think about masteryportfolio.com? Honest. 
I think promise and I think the future. Um, it's so exciting to build something from scratch and put something to the universe that didn't exist before and know that it's going to help people and know that it might be able to make me money and, and uh, you know, help me make a little more than a salary eventually down the line, too. You, you so. got to pay for the copies that you got to give the kids. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, this yeah. is like crazy. I used to feel so bad. I'm like, why is the teacher coming out of pocket as a, as a, as a child? I don't know. I've always had like a business. Mom. I'm like, why is my teacher paying for copies? Shouldn't the school be paying for that? Like, that is a disgrace. Like, God, man. Like, we got to invest in our, these are our children. Yeah. We you know to, what I'm saying? Yeah. If you're going to take care of the students, you need to take care of the teachers. That's a fact, man. Like, I don't understand. It's, I feel like sometimes the simplest things in America become the hardest things in the universe. Like, it's just ridiculous. They're taking care of your kids and they're teaching them the, the, the realities of life. You know? You know? And, and they're nurturing them as well. Like, it's to me, it's like, I don't know, man. I feel like we need to put some respect on teachers' names. That's basically my thought process when it comes to that well i mean miss burrow could you let us know where to find a mastery portfolio before we end the podcast tell us about the app tell us about anything educationally that we need to be aware of and a message out there to your students who are watching yeah absolutely so you can find us on masteryportfolio.com and if you uh hover you know, or scroll through the page for a second, a um, window will pop up where you can sign up for our newsletter. That's a great way to hear about what we're up to and just keep up to speed. Um, we recently hired a really exciting chief operating officer, Star Saxstein. She's written 10 books on what we do. Um, and we've used a lot of her philosophies and, and her work in building this company. So to have her on the team is huge. Um, and we're just really excited to be able to serve more schools and do more good work. Um, and, I encourage anyone to reach out to me at Constance at masteryportfolio.com. If you know of a school that might benefit from rethinking their grading and reporting scheme um, and, and working with us to kind of build a pathway forward. Awesome. Awesome. And a message to your students, let them know how much you care. For any students who are watching, uh, I learned more from you guys than I ever could have from anyone else in my entire career. So thank you for that. And email me also, Constance at MasteryPortfolio.com. I want to hear what you're up to in life these days. Perfect, perfect. Everyone, that was Constance Burrow. Folks, let's get our teachers paid. Let's stop you know, breaking their balls so much. They're doing a service that is important in life. Because in life... You have bosses. You have people that are not going to be nice to you. There's evil people out there. And these teachers are doing their best not only to educate your children, but to give them those life lessons. Yes, there's always bad apples, like there's bad apples in the police department or anywhere else in, in corporate America, in the NBA, in the NFL. Let's put some respect on the teachers' names. Also, please share, share, share on uh uh, YouTube and all the podcast platforms. Uh, you know that you could also check out our exclusive uh, content at www.aowent.com. Donations go to Cash App AOWNYC. And if you want to know what I'm up to, I'm on my social media platforms. It is at Angel of Words ENT. Thank you for tuning in, everyone. And we'll talk to you later.